The following message was preached at Flint Hill Baptist Church. We would love for you to join us on Sundays for life groups and worship, or on Wednesdays for adult Bible study, kids, and youth activities. For more information, visit flinthill.net. Amen. Can y'all put your hands together and praise the Lord this morning? Just give him a good shout of praise. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, we did have just a, an amazing, rich time uh, at the men's conference. Wasn't real sure what to expect. Had never been to, uh, I mean, I've been to a men's conference before, but it's been a while. And uh, men that went with me, there was 12 of, or 11 of us plus myself. Uh, one thing that I want to ask all of you, and you can kind of fill that little form out, but if, you're, if you know already that God is, God is wanting you to go again and be a part of that, for us to put on the map next June, it's, I think it's in June next year, if you'll take that little tear off in the bulletin, put your name on it and say, hey, I want to go next year, that would be great. All right, I say that because I want to hear from you. In my heart, I say yes. I mean, I'm telling you what, it's, it's good anytime you can gather together with who knows how many. I, I don't, somebody said 7,000, I don't know, the place was full and over, overflowing with men. Uh, but, but, you know, I'm going to tell you, it was rich. I was back there in the back. I don't know, I might have to go back there some more. I don't, me and Blake were having a good time in the Lord back there. Uh, but, I, but, I, but it's just good to be in a house of the Lord that worships the Lord. Uh, you know, um, all right, I, I'm, I'm trying my best to contain myself. And, I, you know, again, it has been so refreshing in my own heart uh, to gather together with God's people, these men from all over, really the southeast. Uh, and, and let me say, God's church is beautiful and she's doing great. She's doing all right. I mean, she really is. To God be the glory. I know sometimes we get a little, we get a little hmm, zoned in here in our own little world, but man, we got to lift our eyes up and see that God's people is uh, blessed by the Lord, full of the Holy Spirit, and passionate about not only worshiping the Lord, but living out their faith in Jesus' name. And uh, so to God be the glory. Amen? And I mean, I praise be to God. Hallelujah. Uh, open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. We've, uh, we've been in a little series here. And so I'm going to uh, try to share just a few words here. We're, we're going to walk through, uh, I shared with you last week, the vision that John had of the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. And we talked about that, shared. I will say, um, I shared last, last week, uh, if you, if, where there's no vision, the people perish. Uh, or another translation would be, they cast off restraints. If we don't see the Lord clearly, then you'll never embrace his mission that he has called us to live out. You never will. You won't. And so it all begins with that. Began that with John. John saw the Lord on that day, and we've gone through that. But now we move to specific words that God has for the churches in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. Now I just remind you, I mean, this is God's word, anointed and inspired of the Lord, and it's not just for the church at Ephesus we're about to get into, but it's for us today. And y'all know, I know I'm talking, I know, I, I hope you know that. You may not know that. You may be here. I don't know all of you that are here today. I do believe this is God's word. I believe it's inspired of the Lord. Yes, he used men, but, I, but I'm telling you, it is authored uh, and brought to life through the word of God, through God himself, the Holy Spirit, as he brings this word. And I, and I will tell you, God's word is present and real and, and necessary for us today. Uh, if we're going to be a church that honors the Lord, you've got to be a church that that embraces the Word of God, that hears from the Lord. We talked about that this morning. 
So anyway, uh, uh, in Revelation chapter 2, we're going to begin with the church in Ephesus. And so I'm going to read that passage in just a moment. But, uh, but let me just share a little bit about because some of y'all have been with me on Wednesday night. By the way, we worship on Wednesday. Uh, we, we call it worship on Wednesday. Wow. That's what, thank you. Thank you, Roy. Some of y'all get that later on at lunch. There you go. Worship on Wednesday. And I will tell you, I love being here on Sunday. I love being, I mean, it, it, is, it is good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. I believe that. I love that. But man, worship is good anytime. But on Wednesdays, it's just sweet uh, to me personally. As we gather together, I want to invite all of you to join us this Wednesday. This Wednesday, we have a special worship service with our students. Uh, if you haven't been over there, God has been so good through all of you, through your efforts, your work. But we're going to celebrate, and I, I pray God will, God will dedicate, not us, but God will by the Holy Spirit. Uh, that space over there, what we're calling the student ministry space, it's multi-purpose for sure. College and career are housed there for now. But... Um, but, I, but this Wednesday at 6.30, we're going to celebrate and worship and dedicate that time to the Lord. I invite all of you to join us. I really, if, if you don't normally come on Wednesday night, make it a point to come this Wednesday night uh, and, be, and let's gather together. All right, Church at Ephesus in chapter 2 of Revelation. The title of my series, or this sermon today, is When Love Grows Cold. When Love Grows Cold. The church at Ephesus perhaps... Uh, uh, no church in history has, has the rich heritage as the congregation in Ephesus. We've been going through the book of Ephesus for almost a year. We've just turned to the Psalms. And, and we see how God has used that, I mean, uh, over and over again in their history, but even in our lives today. Just to remind you, the gospel was introduced to that city by Paul's close friends and partners in ministry, Priscilla and Aquila, in Acts 18. Uh, also, Apollos joined them in Acts 18, and they began to lay the groundwork. Paul stopped over there a couple times um, and on, on his missionary journeys, but it was actually on his third journey that he actually spent a considerable amount of time there. Uh, Timothy was the young man that he mentored, called, got called into ministry, actually began to serve as the pastor of that church in Ephesus. Uh, and it was later on, uh, in in, in uh, life, when um, the apostle John, who God gave this word in Revelation, we see 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, that he was uh, in that area giving ministry to the churches in Asia Minor in Ephesus. And it was uh, uh, most likely during that time while, while he was serving the Lord in Ephesus that he became exiled to the island of Patmos, where he is at this point. He was arrested and exiled there. Um, no doubt, as you remember, uh, the city of Ephesus, just to remind you, was not any little city. I, we don't know for sure. Some estimate between a quarter million to a half million people lived in Ephesus. Uh, it, was a, it was a major port. In fact, that most people thought it was the port to Asia, that whole area. Uh, probably, I mean, I'm just speculating. This is JJ. Uh, uh, it's probably because it's the first mentioned in Revelation. Because it was so critical to that whole region of what we call at the time Asia Minor. Uh, it was a port city and everything kind of ran through that. Uh, it was a place where they hosted what we would call Olympic Games. Um, they had their fun, they had their festivals, they had a lot of entertainment for sure. It was also the home of the uh, temple to uh, the goddess Artemis or Diana. You see this in the book of Acts when so many people come to faith in Christ. They begin to throw away their idols. 
And this really upsets the blacksmith. If you remember, you can read back. They get angry with Paul. In fact, there's persecution that comes to the Christians because the Lord, I mean, we just sang, there's none like you, right? I mean, that just goes back to what we call basic biblical theology. There's only one God, not many. There's one Lord, and He is worthy of our praise. And so when God's people get right with the Lord, and when, God's, when people come to faith in Christ, they throw away their idols. And that's what happened in the city of Ephesus, and it really turned that city upside down. Uh, Paul did great ministry there. Um, there was great challenges there for sure uh, that they had to overcome in the church. Um, so let, let's look at the scripture here in chapter 2, uh, the few uh, verse, what, seven verses. To the angel or the messenger of the church in Ephesus write these words. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. I know that you can't tolerate wicked men, that you've tested those who claim to be apostles or are not and have found them false. You've persevered and endured hardship for my name and have not grown weary, yet I hold this one thing against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you don't repent, then I will come and remove the lampstand from its place. You do have this in your favor, that you, what, you hate the practice of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit to the churches says. To him who overcomes, I give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is the paradise of the Lord. A couple things here just to bring through. First of all is this, the description. It's already up there. It describes the Lord as the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the lampstands. We've already looked at this last week. Just to remind you, the seven stars represents the leaders or messengers. That's that word, Angelia, that we get from angel. But it's the messengers that came from those areas that, are, that God's sending that word back to them. And it represents that he holds them in his right hand. In other words, he holds his ministers in his, under his authority, under his power, and he uses those ministers to mediate his word, in this case, to the church at Ephesus. And he still does that today, I hope so. I, I certainly, the last 24 hours, heard some incredible messages from God's men called by him to share. I mean, it was incredible, right? So God still uses uh, his men called out to share his word to his people. But it also describes him as one who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Or the seven churches. Now, again, again, in this context, he says the one that walks among them. Very clearly, the, the, the Lord is reminding the people of God there at Ephesus that I am with you and I am among you. In other words, the Lord is very personal. He's not way off. He doesn't not notice. He is very much among us. You can't hide from him. You can't run away. In fact, I mean, in this context, he's the one examining or assessing and evaluating the church at Ephesus. And as the ruler of them, he has the authority to address the church. He has every right to assess. And, his, and let, let me just, let's just be honest. It's his assessment of us that matters. You know, too often, I mean, I'm just probably being way too honest, but too often we think of ourselves a little more highly than we ought. I mean, we, we look at ourselves oftentimes in the context of the person next to us 
And we think, oh, I'm doing pretty good compared to them. That's not how the Lord examines His people or His church. In fact, in this context, you'll see it over and again, God uses the plumb line of His Word for God's people to kind of see exactly where they really are. Now, I will say this. The first thing that He says in this description, and it's staggering. Look with me in verse 2. Now, I'm reading out of the NIV. To me, we could probably stop the service right here and have the altar call. Have the response. He says very, very emphatically, I know your deeds. I know them. Everything. Doesn't matter. There's nothing that is going to be hidden. In fact, the word there, no, uh, the word there in the Greek indicates uh, that, that, that the Lord has full and complete knowledge of what the church of Ephesus is really like. And when I say the church, I'm not talking about bricks and mortar. Y'all understand that, right? I'm talking about the people of God are the church. That's us. The, when we talk about the church at Flint Hill, we're not talking about this stuff. Y'all with me on that, right? Okay, I'm not messing anybody up this morning, right? May it never happen, but if this thing got moved away, we still going to meet and worship the Lord somewhere, somehow. Amen? We're going to gather in His name. We are God's people. He anoints and empowers His people, not this. Now, He'll use this stuff for His glory if God's people are anointed and filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. Now, I say that. I don't know why I digress sometimes. But anyway, oida, the reference, the word there means God has complete and full knowledge of everything, both good and bad. He knows everything. Now, I don't know what that means for you personally, but that can strike a little bit of terror in my own heart when I come before the Lord. Uh, I, I will tell you, I think real worship, when we talk about worship and celebrations, always starts with humility. That's what the Bible teaches. Uh, a self-assessment lets us all understand that only by the grace of God that we go, and it's by God's grace alone that we even have the opportunity to be here today, have breath in this lung, that I can praise Him, right? And so we, we acknowledge that. At the same time, you know, God knows. God knows everything about us, the good, the bad, the ugly, the best days, the worst days, it doesn't matter. And so, so when he comes to the church at Ephesus, that's the first thing he says, I know your deeds. Now he starts off with the commendations. If you'll go to, go to that slide, he mentions several things that he commends them for doing. The first thing is, is toiling or, or toil, their work. That word where it says literally in here, he says, I know, I know your deeds, your hard work, your toiling denotes labor to the point of sweat and exhaustion. Now, I don't know what kind of job you have. Uh, some of y'all might have a job in the air conditioning and you barely sweat. You know what I'm talking about? Now, some of y'all work hard every day. I know you do. You're out there laboring away. Or you're in, maybe in a factory situation. And there, I, I think I talked to someone this week. There was no air conditioning at work, no air conditioning in the office. And, uh, but they had air conditioning at home. Thank goodness. But anyway... But uh, some of y'all work in that environment, so sweating or getting to the point of exhaustion may be your typical day. But when he says this about the church, I want you to understand the church, it, it describes the church at Ephesus as a church, as a people of God that were willing to put forth the effort to work. Uh, they were given their all-out effort. It, it communicates that they were physically, mentally, and emotionally in the work of the Lord. Uh, there, wasn't, there wasn't spectators in the house of the Lord at Ephesus. If you were to say, y'all, oh yeah, I love Jesus, the way you demonstrate that is by your work for the Lord and how you serve Him. And, and so the church at Ephesus, he, con he commends them. He says, man, I see your hard work. 
You're not all about the fluff. You get after it. You labor. You plow. You plant. You harvest. You get after it. You're going to go after those that are in darkness. And by the way, I mean, do your history on the church, on the Ephesus, the city. They say it was one of the most vile cities ever in the history of all cities ever. I, I, can't, I don't have time this morning. But they talk about that. So we talk about today, you know, I mean, we talk about, hey, man, things are really dark around us today. We talk about the vileness and all this stuff. And, and rightly so. But I'm not sure it even pales. It pales in comparison to what was going on in Ephesus when the church was toiling away. They're getting after it. They would go after the lost, edify the saints, and care for those in need. So he commends them for that, but also for their perseverance. That word simply means it denotes patience in difficult or trying times. I mean, you can see it now. The city's in uproar. The blacksmiths are trying to persecute the Christians because they're idolatry. Their sales are going off, the falling off, and everything's mad. Everybody's mad at the church because they're wanting to preach Christ and the gospel. And I mean, you see this going on and on. But what does the church do? They just keep on keeping on. That's what it means. They're patient. That means they're trusting in the Lord. They're relying on God's strength, God's spirit. They're not impatient and running ahead of the Lord. They're not trying to figure it out on their own. They're just relying on Him. Go back to the book of Ephesians, chapter 6. Paul says, what all you need to do to the church at Ephesus, pray. Pray on all occasions, for all reasons. Pray, 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 pray. Perseverance is a product of praying Christians. You don't become patient by telling yourself to be patient, you become patient when you take time to sit before the Lord to hear from Him. And they did that. I mean, He commends them for that. The, the next thing is they refuse to tolerate wicked men. Now, you know, I, I think this still happens today, but in their day, there was these traveling evangelists that would go around all the time. I mean, you got to understand, things are happening at a rapid pace in the first century. I know we're reading into it some years later. But in their day, man, things are happening. All of a sudden, people, these men would show up and claim, Hey, I know Paul. Hey, yeah, man, I know Jesus. Yeah, da, da, da. And they, want, they would want an opportunity to speak to the people of God. And this happened all the time in all the places. I'm sure it still happens today as well. But, but, here's, but, but he commends them. He says, you refuse to tolerate wicked men. In other words, they held to a high standard, a holy standard of behavior and were sensitive to sin, right? They followed the Lord's mandate, for sure, of church discipline. But they also, what, did, did not want to give, as Paul instructed them in Ephesians 4, to give the devil even an opportunity or a foothold. They acknowledge, you know what, not everybody that comes to me uh, that looks like, smells like, talks like, is really a Christian. There could be some wolves in sheep's clothing. And they refused to tolerate that. They also hated the practice of the Nicolaitans. Now, that's another story altogether. But it's worth mentioning. The Lord mentions it to them right here. He kind of commends them for that. All we know about them, they're mentioned later on in Pergamum, uh, the, another church. But it links them, these group of so-called Christians were extremely immoral and wicked. It kind of, I'll be honest with you, some of you men that were with me yesterday, it goes back to what Phil Waldrop was saying in his message. You know, talking about the Sadducees, many of them had left, the Nicolaitans had left the Word of God as they knew it in their day. And so they started operating by what they felt like and what they, in their own thinking, and what their own thinking did, it led them down a road of immorality. And wickedness. In fact, they went on to say, well, it doesn't really matter how I behave. It doesn't matter. God will forgive me anyway. And that's not true. That's not biblical. That's a lie. But all of a sudden, they began to lead people astray. 
It came full force, and so the Lord hates that. He, he hates it when God's, peop, when, when, when God's people are led astray by wickedness or when people rise up and lead people astray. So he hated that. Um, so anyway, so I will go on to say he commends them for several things, and it's beautiful. Now, I don't know. I've always said if you're going to say something very difficult to somebody, you ought to make it like a, uh, what do they call I'm going to mess this up. Oh, my word. It's like a, I don't know. I'm going to mess this up horribly. I don't, whatever. It's like an Oreo cookie. I know. I am so messed up right here. You, you know how Oreo cookies got three layers? Y'all know what I'm talking about. Y'all don't eat, do y'all eat it by layers or do y'all eat it one at a time? Y'all just suck it down? I don't know. Well, anyway, you can peel that thing apart. So if you got something difficult to say, give them a little something good right here. Then you're going to have to give them something hard and then give them something good on the end. And quite honestly, that's what the Lord does right here to the church at Ephesus. Now, you're going to leave out here today on Father's Day, and all you're going to remember is Oreo cookie. And you're not going to remember anything I've shared with you. And I'm like, Lord, forgive me already. But he does. He kind of commends them. And I can imagine, can't you? I mean, can't you be the, Can we just jump back and when that letter was first read to the church at Ephesus? When that messenger brought back that word and says, man, I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. Man, you can't tolerate wicked men and you've tested those who claim to be apostles, found them false. You per persevered and endured hardship for my name and have not grown weary. Can you imagine as that word was shared on that day? How, I mean, how that would have impacted, wouldn't it? I mean, come on, y'all. I mean, praise. I mean, that would be just so like, thank you, Lord. And uh, however, he knows our deeds. And so in this moment, I mean, it, he just, as he does, he says, yet I hold this against you. The word that the messenger brings to the church at Ephesus, that the angel of the Lord gave to John. He says, you have forsaken your first love. Despite, MacArthur says that despite all the praiseworthy elements in the Ephesians church, the penetrating, omniscient gaze of the Lord Jesus Christ spotted this fatal flaw in the church. They had maintained doctrinal orthodoxy. They had continued to serve Christ. Uh, however, here it is, their service had degenerated into mechanical orthodoxy. That's a fancy way of saying they were going through the motions. Their heart was not in it. However, at one time they had loved the Lord. Forty years later, their affection, their affection had been cooled in their day. That current generation that first, first received this word was maintaining their teaching handed down to them, but they had forsaken and forgotten their first love. That love certainly included love for the Lord, love for one another, and love for the lost that was all around them. They had sunk into a place where they were carrying out their Christian responsibilities with a diminishing love for the Lord and for others. 
I can't think of a more fitting word for us today. May the Lord Jesus Christ bring the plumb line of his word to our hearts right now. Please refuse to hide behind your religiousness right now. Please allow the Holy Spirit of God to seek and to search and to bring to light whatever's in your heart and in your mind. If you're hearing this word today and walk out of here unchanged, it is not because God has not ordained you to be here and to bring you here today, to hear His word for His people. I have no doubt God's preparing His people for His return, but I'm telling you straight up, whether we're ready or not will determine, will be determined by what we love most. Do we sincerely, personally, and passionately love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind? That's a great question to ask if you haven't asked it. To the church at Ephesus, I'm almost certain if I was there on that day before that letter arrived, and I probably could have looked around and I would have seen a lot of people doing a lot of wonderful things, good things, right things. Don't get me wrong. They were, they were doing the right things, but their heart wasn't in it any longer. You cannot serve God effectively if you don't love Him first and foremost in your life. There's no way. You can do it, but it will be void of power. Void of real change for yourself or for those that you're trying to minister to. So God calls the church back to the first love. Now it comes into the command. I mean, it's real simple. He lays it out for him. He says, look, if you... Uh, he says, repent. There's that word. It's not a bad word. It's a great word for a Christian. It's a beautiful word. It reminds us that we're not in control and God's assessment of my life is more important than my own personal assessment. And if I'm departed from Him, He calls me back to Himself. That's repentance, to turn around turn back to the Lord. And in this moment, He's calling the church back to Himself. He says, do the things you did at first. Go back to when you were loving me first and foremost. Repent. He said, if you don't repent, I'll come and remove the lampstand from its place. That's a strong... Now listen, please hear me. God has a church, the body of Christ throughout this world in which we live. There's a strong statement here. If a church refuses to return to their first love, I'm talking about a body of Christ in this community. We'll call it Flint Hill. Let's call it Flint Hill. If we are found wanting, if we are found when the plumb line of God's word lowers down our hearts, if we refuse to acknowledge, if we refuse to remember our first love and repent, if we refuse to turn back to Him and capture, we talked about just loving Him first and foremost, if we refuse to do that, there may come a point where God will remove that lampstand. I've shared with some of you on Wednesday night, I preached at a church in Georgia one time. Friend, it held probably about five, six hundred people. I don't know, a lot of people. And there was like twelve people in the house that day. There's nowhere in the Word of God that says Flint Hill has to stay until Jesus comes back. I hope that doesn't mess you up this morning. 
Flint Hill is just a small piece of God's people. But I will tell you this. As the plumb line of God's word is lowered among us today, if we would turn back to him and acknowledge, or maybe maybe you're not there. Maybe I'm not even talking to you this morning. Maybe if you're honest, your heart's inflamed with the Lord and you love him first and foremost, then praise be to God. But if not, if you were to tell me today, Jay, Pastor, I, I don't love the Lord first and foremost. He's not first and foremost. And, and if you choose not to turn back to him, then there's consequences. There's consequences for you personally and corporately as a church. So he calls out to the church at Ephesus. He says, remember the heights from which you've fallen. Remember that I am called to be first and foremost in your heart. It's not about the good things you do. It's about your love relationship with me that needs to be first and foremost. It needs to be above all. Everything that we do. Our love for the Lord must be first and foremost And he says, remember that height. Remember when you used to come into the house of the Lord with singing and praising on your lip. Where you would spend so much time and sit before me. Remember that. Go back to that. Turn away from whatever's distracting you in this world and turn back to me. And I I will tell you, the good news is there's a promise. He said, look, he said, he said, I'll give you the right to eat tree of life, which is the paradise of God, which talks about eternal life. But listen. It's not about eternal life when I go to heaven. Jesus said, look, he said, you can have life in more abundant today, now, and forevermore. So he's saying, look, church, he's saying, Ephesus, look, remember the heights you've been falling. Repent. And here's the promise. I'm going to overwhelm you with intimacy with me. The blessing, you know what will happen? You'll be like the psalmist, say, bless, you'll, you'll say, taste and see that the Lord is good. It'll be sweeter than a honeycomb. All of a sudden, God's word will come alive in your heart, and you'll be like, oh my goodness, how, what is the Lord doing here? So here's, here's where we are. We're at a point now in our service, come on, Gavin, where we're going to turn, we're, we're going to have a time, what we, call, we call this response time, so I want to help us here. First and foremost, please hear me. The Lord, God has given me this word. I believe God has us in the right place. I think that what God's calling us to do, to be intimate with Him, to turn back to Him, this is just where, I mean, that, this whole last two days that we were up here with seven some thousand men from all over, God, that's the message that God's calling us back to today. May God help us Now, I'm getting real personal here. God, help me. Help me, JJ, to be a man, to be a father who opens up his heart today unto the Lord and says, Lord, search me and know me. God, if there's any offensive way in my heart, my life, my leadership, whatever it may be, God, bring it to my attention and help me to confess that and turn away from it. I want to invite you. This is an an invitation. This is an invitation. Whether you come to this altar, come to me or not. This is an invitation for you, every person here today, to just open up your heart to the Lord. We're about to sing a song of response. Open your heart. Lord, I I just want to invite you to do that. May the Spirit of the Lord invite you to open up your heart to Him. If God acknowledges something, brings something to your attention, then turn away from it. Repent. And turn to the Lord.
A couple more things. Please hear me. If you're here today and you don't know Christ, I don't need you to be religious. Oh my goodness, no. That's the hardest people in the world to reach is religious people. I'd rather have a person that hates the Lord. So much easier to talk to. So I don't want you to be religious, but I do want you to repent. What that means is turn away from your sin of just seeking yourself, knowing yourself. But it's turning to faith in Christ. Trusting Him personally as your Lord and Savior. Friend, if you're here today and all that I'm talking to you about is foreign language and you have no concept, then ask the Lord, God, show me. Do I need to know you? The Bible would say it this way. Paul said it this way. Let the Spirit of God examine our hearts today. If He examines your heart and you don't know Christ, friend, today's the day to trust Him. Today is a day of salvation. Turn to the Lord and trust Him personally. It's as simple as acknowledging, admitting that you need Him, acknowledge that He alone is the only one that can save you from your sin. He alone died and rose again, and you can know Him. Put your faith in Him today. In just a moment, I'm going to pray. If you do that, I want you to come forward and tell me, hey, I trusted Christ. There's nothing magical about coming forward and talking to some preacher. But there's something about putting feet to a commitment. Because if you can't tell me you trusted Jesus, you're not going to tell anybody out there when you walk outside these doors. But I want to encourage you and help you and walk with you. The last thing is this. If you're here today and you know this is where God's calling you, your first step is to make that public. We do have a little class that talks about membership matters. But first and foremost, you've got to come before the Lord. You've got to know that God's called you here to work, to serve. And listen, I'm a worker. I mean, if you don't know anything about me, I'm going to put you to work at some point. It's going to happen. But can I say this? More than working, my hope is that you love Him first and foremost, passionately. If you know God's calling you here, come make it public. Say, this is where God wants me to be. That's, that's the most important part of the process. All right, I'm going to pray for us and we're going to sing. Father, we just want to praise you today. God, thank you for the freedom and the liberty and the Holy Spirit and your word that is so amazing and cutting us deeply right now. And I just ask God be glorified in this house this morning. Be lifted up in Jesus' name. Stand with me, church. We're going to sing a song of response. If you need to come, you come.